So, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8 today. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see something that's hard. In Samuel's lifetime, he's seen Israel enter into a golden age. They learn by experience that everything good in life comes out of a relationship with God. And Samuel also lived to see Israel walk away from their relationship with God. And you know, it struck me as I read this, we really underestimate the power of sin. And we underestimate the importance of really sticking to the Lord and seeking Him. And today we're going to learn from Israel's mistakes to keep from drifting back into sin. Now, we're in chapter 8, but to get the context, I'm going to start in chapter 7 from verse 15. It says here, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. So we see Samuel's mature ministry compressed in just to a few verses. He's, he's ruling Israel over Israel, but under God. God is really king in Israel. And the people are enjoying all the blessings that come when you're right with God. They come as really the spare change of being right with God. That is, peace and strength and stability as a nation, consistency, everything you could want. And it's so consistent that there's no need to even describe it in detail. Every year is just as good as the last year, and it's just as good as the next year, and it just kind of rolls on. It's fabulous. It's a golden age because they're all in right relationship with God, and Samuel is their go-between, and everything's working the way it should. But then... Nothing in life stays that way forever. And Samuel becomes old, and he has to face transition. Transition. 
That is, he appoints his sons judges over Israel. And he starts them with sort of taking on his work. You know, he had a, a circuit that he traveled every year and judge and decide issues and just everything running okay? What do we need to fix here? And what he's done is kind of offload that to his sons, and they've gone to Beersheba in the south. And they're sort of beginning to take on his work. And what they find is somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, I've got this deal going on. I need your help. What if I kind of greased your palm a little bit here and got things going the way I need to? And they say, well, okay, tell me more. And so they accept bribes. And they pervert justice. And they get caught. And it comes back to Samuel. So they're not walking with the Lord. And isn't that sad? You know, you, you find out that nobody inherits godliness. The only thing you inherit is sin. Now, you know, this is, this is a real topic nowadays because people are really not twigging the fact that we're born sinners. That's not popular. We're all good. We're just blank slates. And so the idea of sin really isn't in people's minds. But this is how we're born. We're born wanting our own ways. We're born wanting to break the rules, and especially God's commandments. Now, why is this world the way it is? Well, people want to blame God. That's the first thing Katie found out. She's talking to them and they say, well, this is a crummy world. Everybody's doing evil. Why did God do that? And you know what the answer is? God didn't do that. God doesn't lie, but people do. God doesn't steal. People do. So people and sinning are the reason why this world is the way it is. So the hardest thing to face is that your children are born sinners. They want to disobey you. They think their way is best. So what do you do? What do you do? You know, this is something that every Christian parent has to face. This is something that pastors and missionaries have to face, is he that you love with all your heart is a sinner. And I remember thinking about this, you know, as far as marriage, you know you're going to break all the rules about marriage and blow that. How about being a parent? You're going to do that too. You're going to be the world's worst parent. So how do you keep from losing your kids? And the answer is, you pursue your relationship with God. Because then you receive the love and the patience 
and the perseverance to keep loving your children. Now, if your children see that you're not serious about your relationship with God, that it doesn't really affect your life, they're going to get the message. This relationship with God is optional. And if it's optional, I'm out. I don't need this. So your, your children will pick up from you what you consider to be important. Now, if following Jesus is the most important thing to you, they also see that. And they have no excuse when they stand before God. Because they could see that you were absolutely serious about your relationship with God. So, very, very difficult situation. This transition isn't working out. But now Samuel and the elders of Israel have to figure out some way forward. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them and sh show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So here's a solution that blows Samuel's mind. Make us a king like all the nations. And it upsets Samuel because he feels rejected. He has been the judge in Israel his whole adult life. And now they're telling him, we'll make us a king. And he feels rejected. I mean, when he prays to God, um, he says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So you get the idea, Samuel is feeling like, well, thanks a lot. This is the thanks I get for laying my life down and serving the Lord. And they just say, well, you're old. So let's do something else. But you notice also that Samuel is continuing in his relationship with the Lord. He could get offended, irritated, and fight for his position and say, who's leader around here? Who did God make judge? Huh? and get, you know, snarky and slash back and just fight for his position. But he's not doing that. He's upset, but he brings all this to God and he says, well, this is what they said. What do you think? What do you want? And you know, God's opinion is the only opinion that matters. 
and God knows what to do. Now, imagine Samuel's surprise when, when God says, well, don't take it personally. They're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Isn't that interesting? He says, they've done this to me ever since I brought them out of Egypt. This is the way this people has treated me. They've rejected me over and over to serve other gods. And that's what they're doing in this situation. Idolatry. Now, just as an aside here, here's Samuel in fellowship with God. He's sharing in the fellowship of God's sufferings. That will happen when you serve the Lord and you're in right relationship with him. You will suffer because this is how they treat God. They're going to treat you the same way. And here's Samuel going through it, but he has the fellowship of God to say, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. Don't take it personally. It's really me. But you notice that God is not super pleased with their request either. And there's kind of a steely tone to God's voice when he says, warn them. Warn them what's going to happen. Tell them what a king is going to do to them. So, verse 10, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. So you know what he's telling the people? You guys are asking for trouble. This king is going to take from you. Did you notice that? Over and over again, he will take, 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 take. You know, Samuel didn't take from the people. He didn't live above the people. He didn't have a staff to support, no lavish lifestyle, no heavy overhead. So he lived just like everybody else. Now, you know, on the other hand, that's not impressive. But he wasn't a burden on the people. But a king has to be impressive. That's, that's the big deal about a king. 
and he has to live above the people, and he has to have a large staff who also live off the king. And that means he's going to take from the people. He will take their land, their children, their crops, their male and female servants, and their donkeys. He will take over and over and over again. That means the people are going to lose and lose and lose and lose. And then, did you notice, the king will only take the very best. The king is kind of like God. You can't give God what's crummy or stupid or diseased. And your king will only accept what's the best. So he is going to take the best, the most handsome, the most beautiful, the most skilled, and the smartest. So that means you lose the best of everything that you have. If you have a stupid son or an ugly daughter, you're safe. If you have a bad field, that's lucky. He's not going to take your bad field or your lame donkey. But if you have anything that's good, valuable, a really good servant, he's gone. And then he says, you're going to be a servant. So anytime the king wants something from you, if he just thinks about it, boom, he gets it. Because he's got authority from God. And you have to obey him. Now Samuel says here, you will cry out. You will come to the point where this king is such a burden on you, such an exhausting person. You will have to give so much and lose so much, you're going to cry out to God. You're going to say, I'm sorry, this was a bad idea. You were right, I was wrong. And Samuel says, God will not listen to you. He will take no action. He will remain silent. This is irrevocable. You cannot take this back. Once God gives you a king, you have a king. Now remember, when Samuel began ministering, even as a kid, everything that he spoke from the mouth of God came true. Not one word that he spoke in the name of the Lord ever didn't happen, wasn't fulfilled, was an empty word. And it says in 1 Samuel 3, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. They knew it by experience. So Samuel is not giving his opinion. He is telling Israel the sober truth. So look what it says in verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. In verse 8, they're serving other gods. Which gods are they serving? Well, it doesn't really say here, but they're the gods of pride and ignorance. They don't even have flashy names, you know, like Baal or Molech or something. It's just an idolatry here, and it's about pride and ignorance. It's pride because they want to be like all the nations. What do the nations have that Israel doesn't have? Well, an impressive king. Pomp and circumstance. Ceremonies. And they think he's going to make life better for us. He's going to rule over us and fight our battles. And when he waves at us from the palace balcony, we are going to swoon with rapture because he is so impressive. He is exalted. He is going to solve all of our problems. So this is going to be impressive. And we're going to feel good about ourselves because we have such an impressive king. That's one form of idolatry. Here's another form of idolatry is ignorance. Ignorance because they don't know how good they've got it right now this second. See, there was a time when they believed with all their heart, with all their soul, that everything good comes out of our relationship with God. And they believed it with everything they had because they lived it. They knew what it was like to go nowhere because they weren't in relationship with God. And they experienced that when they came back into relationship, then God blessed them greatly with everything they could never get on their own. Got rid of the Philistines, and none of them were armed. They just showed up to church with no weapons, and the Philistines attacked, and God thunders, and the Philistines go, I'm out of here. And Israel could take them without swords and spears, trampled them. And they've had probably decades of fabulous peace, stability. This is just amazing. They've experienced that. But something happened in all that goodness. You know what happens? Drift. There's a current going away from God. And if you're not looking at what, what's going on, you drift. You don't notice you're drifting. That's part of it. If it was this riptide, you'd go, <laughs> I'm in trouble. But it's... This is the result of my relationship to God. And it just sort of switched to going, well, this is how it's supposed to be. This is life. Life is just good. Everything's good. And it's supposed to be that way. 
And so they take all these blessings from God for granted. They just stop saying thank you. Now that is tremendously ungodly. They just stop giving thanks. And then they look around them. And they look at all the other nations. And they say, wow, look at that king. Wow, impressive ceremonies. You know, that's, that's cool. And big crowds. Everybody's going, and then, oh, I love it. Every time he does that, it's just like, whoa. Was that cool? I think he was looking at me. And they go, why don't we have that? I mean, look at him. Old Samuel. Ah, old guy. Nothing impressive. That's kind of embarrassing. He's the leader of your country. Well, him. Him who? The old guy? Where's his purple robe? Ah, uh, he doesn't have one. <laughs> Well, isn't he dear anyway? Oh, gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Why don't we have an impressive king so we can point to him and say, we got an impressive king. We're somebody. So here's a new need and a desire that we've never had before. Like, we don't have a king. Why don't we have a king? We need a king. In comparison with all the other nations, we're not as well off. But here's the real... And he looks fabulous. He's a strong man. And the nation follows him. And very impressed. But here's the problem. None of these nations have God. And so these nations look impressive, but they're groping in the dark, and they're wrecked. And these leaders are fallible men who are selfish and wicked. And they do things because they believe they're above everybody else. And so you can have 10 parties during lockdown in the government. Everybody's whooping it up while everybody else has to be locked down and not obeying the rules, but we can just tip our wine glasses and woohoo, because we're not like everybody else. We're above these rules. We don't have to obey the law that we make. We can just benefit ourselves. Well, see, these are just guys. And they're doing their own thing and they're enriching themselves and that's what they do. Now, these nations, all the nations that Israel is looking at right now, they think, wow, I wish we had a king. All those nations are going to be destroyed without exception. Everything that they desired and envied, they're gone. And that's the fate of the nations. 
There are no nations left from antiquity. And you can read European history and find out there were nations that existed for a while, then they don't exist anymore. Because they got weak and overrun by somebody else, conquered by somebody else. It goes on and on and on. A nation rises, becomes powerful, and then becomes weak and is destroyed. And there's nothing left. They have to go dig in the ground and find broken pottery that says there was a civilization here. How do you know? Well, like all the smashed pottery and broken columns and beat down buildings and burned cities that show us, yes, there was a civilization here. Everything you want, O Israel, is going to be destroyed. You really want that? Now, of all the nations of antiquity, there's only one that is still in existence today. And that's because God made Israel. And the only reason they exist today is that God will not let them be destroyed. Isn't that interesting? All the other ancient nations are long gone. So Israel has the true God, the blessings of being in relationship with God, and they take it for granted, and they're willing to just walk away. They are choosing to be destroyed as a nation like all the other nations. That's why this is a big deal. So, what we learn from this is do not underestimate the power of sin in your life. Sin hasn't gone away. You know this. I'm just reminding you. Sin doesn't go away. It's just waiting for a time when you're not watching and when you're not pressing into the Lord and seeking Him. And you're drifting because everything is going good. So you don't, you know, this is the way life is supposed to run. And so you're not thinking about God. You're just not following Jesus closely. And the very essence of sin is to think there are alternatives to Jesus that you can go after directly, and that's going to be okay. Um, you don't have to seek those things through Jesus and say, well, what do you think about this? And do you think I need this? And you know, how do you want to satisfy me? I don't care how you satisfy me, just as long as you do. You just go directly after the thing you think you need. And this is the thing that the devil did with Jesus. He says, you know what? You're hungry. Why don't you just turn that rock into bread? Go after the food directly. I know you want to rule the world. Why don't you go get the kingdoms directly? I will give them to you. You don't have to seek them through God. I'll give them to you directly. Now, sin 
says, I know better. Even when God says, that's not a good idea. Can you imagine this entire people knowing who Samuel is? Not one thing he's ever said has ever been empty, didn't happen. Not one time. And yet they can hear what he says and say, well, that's your opinion. You're an anti-royalist anyway. Of course that's your opinion. He wasn't giving an opinion. He was speaking the word of the Lord, and they said, no, that's not going to happen. Everything's going to work out great. You know, sin knows better than God. And sin ignores the Bible. Says, ma, that's not going to happen. Everything's going to turn out right. So, you know, ignorance and arrogance always go with sin. And sin is always unthankful. Takes for granted all the good things that God does. Expects the good things. Hey, this is the way the universe is supposed to work. And sin never realizes the debt owed to God. Now, the only alternative to sin is to submit you yourself to God and continue seeking Him and seeking everything you need through Him. And Samuel is the example of this. You know, your children may not follow the Lord, but you keep following the Lord. That's what Samuel did. Because he's not going to get his kids all of a sudden following the Lord. Only God can do that. He stays with God even if his children don't. And then he doesn't go with the crowd either. You know, if it becomes uncool to seek the Lord, uncool to... I want to reference everything to God and seek everything I need from God, that doesn't bother Samuel. Do I have to ruin my life because everyone else is doing it? He goes, absolutely not. Let everybody else be a lemming and just march off the cliff. But you follow Jesus. You know, Samuel followed the Lord when it was cool, and he followed the Lord when it wasn't cool. And even though he's upset, he doesn't go by what people think. He says, what do you think? Okay, now the entire nation is going to jump the rails? But he says, what do you want? I think it stinks. What do you want? I don't like this at all. What do you think? What do you want? And, you know, he is never going to lose the way. And you will never lose the way when you say to God, I want what you want. What do you want? What do you think? Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you don't have to guess. You know. And we want to thank you that you do bless us. And I pray for all of us that we would be careful to practice thanksgiving and not take the good things for granted. We thank you for our government that just now is going to stop even Plan B COVID restrictions. And we, we, re, we recognize that Austria is closed, Greece is closed, Germany is being tough. So many nations are so harsh and rigid, and this country is backing off of all those restrictions. And that's a blessing. That's an answer to prayer. And we thank you for our government. We don't put our trust in them, but we thank you for them. And we ask you to bless the prime minister and the parliament. Bless the queen. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a free society. Help us to be aware of all the good things that you're doing and not take it for granted because all of our blessings come from you. Thank you that we're alive and that we're healthy. That comes from you. We thank you for our daily bread. Thank you so much. We pray that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. That we would seek you, the fountain of living waters. Don't let us get away from that. We commit ourselves into your hand and we thank you in Jesus' name.